Good evening and welcome to the Overtime Heroics Baseball Podcast, Cheap Seats Chatter. I'm today's host, Matthias Alban kurosaki With me, as always, we have Ryan Splash Potts and Alex Clark. First things first, gentlemen, how are we doing on this fine Monday evening? Uh, I woke up out of a nap to come on the show, so <laughs> that's how I'm feeling. I- I'm back in Arizona, though, uh, starting the second half of my last semester of college. Uh, super excited there. And uh, there are some baseball news today concerning my Bravos. So that's actually one of our topics. I don't want to spoil that, but I am excited. I'll put it that way. I'm just excited for the fact that you can say in that last moment, we have baseball news. The fact that we've been doing the last few months of doing Jeopardy for almost half of our shows at this point, as this is probably over half of our shows. I'm just going to say that we have baseball news again. We can actually do a podcast the way it was intended to be done with news that has happened and we can discuss it ad nauseum. So I am elated right now. Also for another move that we'll get to a little bit later. Yeah, I mean, so personally, I'm on spring break and, you know, this spring break could not have started off any better. You know, going, you know, like Alex said, you know, it, it's obviously, you know, Jeopardy has been fun, you know, and doing verses has been fun and, you know, all that. But baseball is back, finally. And, you know, this has been, it's been months in the works. And I, I don't know if I can put into words just how excited I am that we finally have baseball. And news to talk about, there's been a flurry of action. I mean, it's just been, it, it's just awesome to have this, you know, have news, have spring training starting. I mean, I, you know, in the matter of a week, I went from having, you know, very low energy to my energy shot through the roof last week when the announcement came back that baseball was back. So, I mean, how, I mean, I guess you guys sort of hit it on the head. Like, I mean, how how else are you guys feeling? You know, baseball's back. (laughs) Yeah, I was just minding my own business. Uh, I was actually at uh, Sam's Club with my parents right back home. And I'm like, okay, just vibing. And I told my, some of my coworkers like, hey, expect something big to happen because I'm going to be away from my phone, right? S- some news is going to break. It just so happens that the news was baseball is coming back. And of course, I'm nowhere near my laptop. So I can't go live with the show. I can't post anything on youtube so i'm just like sitting there hoping my phone doesn't die like patiently waiting for my mom to stop talking to a former co-worker i'm just like okay hurry up hurry up hurry up so i feel like at least for me i feel like the news broke like at the worst possible time but i was so happy to see the news and um within 24 hours i had a clip of vladimir guerrero at uh jay's spring training just molly whopping a baseball um, and a couple hours later, I had a certain uh, guy with two different color eyes in blue and orange throwing off of a mound. I'm sure Mac likes to hear the sound of that. But today it really set in. I saw a clip of Ronald Acuna at batting practice, and he said, I'm back. I don't know what that means exactly. I know Acuna's English isn't very good. Maybe he, I don't know. But I am super excited for baseball to be back. Ronald Acuna to be like hitting baseballs again. I'm pumped. I've got the opposite problem as you do splash. Whenever big news hits, it's always when I'm available to see it, or at least it has been for at least a little bit. Um, At work, I can't have like my phone out with me due to, you know, privacy reasons, but um, where I'm allowed to, if I go to use the bathroom or go on break or anything like that, the news that baseball was back came when I went to go use the bathroom randomly. And I was like, I was freaking out. And I was extremely happy. And then another move that happened, also what happened when I went to go use the bathroom, because I feel it. But that's the thing right now is that we have all been in this like stupor for the last several months now because of this baseball lockout. We didn't know what was going to happen. In fact, there were a few times we've talked about on the show that the, the season itself was affected, that we, they said, all right, we're cutting these games. I'm like, 
okay, so that's just a power play move. All right, I see it, but that did impact the season. And when those first games leave, to a lot of us, I know the first thing that, you know, pops in your head is how much more is there going to be? And for me, being the anxiety-ridden person that I am, thought baseball is over, see you in 2023. And uh, I'm so glad to be wrong. Like, I'm so unbelievably glad to be wrong. Like, when when the news finally broke, there was a bit of a scream, but also just a complete sigh of relief. The fact that baseball, America's pastime, the game that we have all dedicated a large part of our lives to, is now ready to go again. We can hear spring training happening. We can see, we can hear the crack of the bat, the pop of the glove. And I've never been more ready for it. People say that you don't fully realize what is like, what was got, say what you had until it's been taken away. We lost baseball, completely lost, just like in 2020. We lost baseball and we got it right back. And now it feels even better to have it. Yeah. And, you know, we mentioned we finally have news to talk about, and we're going to start off talking about the what you alluded to, Splash. Your Atlanta Braves uh, came through with a pretty big-time trade here, trading for A's star first baseman Matt Olson. Big, big move. He was arguably the best first baseman in baseball last year. Heading back to Oakland is a pretty significant package. Headlined by Christian Pache and Shea Langoliers, and also including pitchers Ryan Cusick and Joey Estes. This is a big haul for both teams, actually. You know, the Braves effectively get the guy who will, I'm assuming, replace Freddie Freeman, and the A's get a great haul of prospects. Great haul of, of prospects in return. Uh, I mean, how are you guys feeling after this? So I was actually at the airport when this happened um it was i think either in the airport or like in the uber coming back to my dorm and i see it and my first reaction is i hope we didn't give up michael harris and i think that was the at that point it was uh, i I mentioned before that also was my number two option behind freeman of course and i was it was cool with that and uh, I was going to prepare something to say about Freddie, but my, my first reaction was, I hope we didn't trade Michael Harris, which I don't know how that makes me feel in hindsight, but I'm glad we didn't trade Michael Harris. Uh, so I, I mean, I appreciate Christian Pache's uh, like years of years in the franchise. Uh, he had a big home run against the, the Dodgers in 2020 in the playoffs. Um, and I know he's going to do great things with Oakland, uh, same thing with Langoliers. Uh, at some when he comes up, he's going to be a great player. But I, I'm really pumped for Olson. Um, I think you know you can have him in that conversation being a top five first baseman. Is he as good as Freddie? Maybe, maybe not. But he had a monster season last year. Uh, 153 OPS plus, 39 home runs. Keep in mind this is in Oakland. Well, the OPS plus doesn't matter, but the 39 home runs in Oakland does matter. Um, if you look at the last few seasons since 2019, he's top five in B-War at first base, home runs, slugging, extra base hits, again, all at, uh, all in the Coliseum. So I, I'm really excited to see him whack, whack pitches through the chop house moving forward. Yeah, when it comes to this trade, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit on the fence. Just because Olsen is a fantastic player. I mean, you take a look at what he's done and you take a look, especially at his 2021 season, you know, again, 156 games, played, but he finished eighth in the MVP voting. He did a, he had a pretty darn good year. Again, highlighted with a 271 batting average and a 39 home runs for a first baseman, for a first baseman with elite defensive ability. That's fantastic. I'll take that any day of the week. Frey Freeman though, on the other hand of it, he was the kind of the face of the franchise, one of the faces, one of the faces. I mean, because again, you still got Acuna, still got all these other guys, but Freddie was really the guy. Again, he's been with the team since 2010. I mean, his when he was he wasn't even old enough, he wasn't even old enough to drink the first time that he got his first big league, uh, his first big league shot. And so now to see that he's more than likely gone, I'm not gonna say that he is gone. 
because obviously there are things that can always happen. You know, maybe there's a big thing that comes out of the woodwork and then he ends up still staying with Atlanta. But I do think he's probably is going to be gone and it's going to result in a very interesting change to the free agency dynamic. Because right now there have been a lot of free agency names right now that we'll get to again a little bit later. But every a lot of the bigger names I think are waiting to see who the first one is going to be so then the agents can ask for more money on top of that. So now adding in Freddie Freeman into that mix where a lot of people, again, me included, just kind of assumed he was going to re-sign with the Braves to continue that career. I think that this is going to put a huge dynamic change into how free agency is going to work where there's probably going to be a lot more money being thrown around and a few more different names that may be going to different teams from it, especially when you have the a caliber of the player that is a Freddie Freeman, who, again, reminder, 2020 season was the MVP. Remember that. Very, very good baseball player. So I think that right now this is a very interesting trade. No docs on Olsen, obviously, because he is in – Absolutely unbelievable player. Again, a great, I value defense at first base. That's just because I was a first base from growing up. But I think right now, I don't want to say if anyone won the trade. I'm going to say overall that the A's probably won this trade. Um, just because I, I like, like, they got a really nice haul of prospects and the Braves are still going to be trying to figure out a few more things. And Olsen is going to basically just be the, the stopgap for for freddie freeman where you are gaining but you're also losing on a few other things so it's it's a tough call to say who truly won this trade yeah and you sort of mentioned you know the the hall in return going to oakland and you know obviously olsen is coming off of a fantastic year the best year of his career you know 5.8 war career high 39 homers he was an all-star for the first time he was in the home run derby uh, career best 911 OPS, at least that is for a full season. You know, eighth in MVP voting. The biggest improvement he made to his game, though, was cutting down that strikeout rate. That's always been a weakness of his. He cut his strikeout rate down from 31.4% in 2020 to 16.8. That's a huge step forward. And, you know, he's always been a guy who makes loud contact. And, you know, he's he's proven in the past that, you know, he, he his power has always been there. It's just, you know, ha- can he – you know, keep the strikeouts down. He did a great job of that last year. So big get for the for the Braves, but I want to point out who they got in return. You know, Ryan Cusick, a righty, he was the he was the Braves' first round pick this past year out of Wake Forest. And you know, he he's always had a bit of some some control issues, at least throughout college. But in his first uh stint in rookie ball in Augusta this year. He struck out 34 batters in 16 in the third innings. You know, he, he walked four, but that, that is definitely a big step forward. He is a lively fastball. It'll be about commanding his secondary pitches. Can he command his fastball? You know, I, I think this is a solid get. Uh, Christian Pache, I know, has sort of struggled in his stints in the majors. But he's still an elite defensive center fielder. And I think that he, he does have some potential as, you know, a speedy outfielder who can, you know, have some pop. Uh, Joey Estes, you know, solid. Uh, he he was uh, he was actually a 16th round pick in 2019, but he was pretty good this year in in Augusta. Also, 2.91 ERA with 127 strikeouts and 99 innings, and a, only a 0.96 WHIP. So he's coming off a great year. He seems like he could be turning a corner. And also Shay Langoliers, who I think might be the best player in this trade. You know, he he had a rough 2019, but came back with an 833 OPS, hit 22 homers between uh, between Mississippi and Gwinnett this year. Only a little bit in Gwinnett, but, you know, I think that Langoliers, he's only 23. He could be a very good catcher offensively and defensively. So, overall, I like this trade for both sides. So, you know, that's that. Uh, any other final thoughts on this trade? Yeah, I'm, I'm – um, I do want to throw it out there that the Braves did keep two of their I, – I guess – when I look at the Braves farm system heading into today, there's like five notable names. There's Pache, uh, Drew Waters, Michael Harris, Braden Shoemake, and um, uh, Langoliers. So I, I think it was critical for the Braves to not give up everything for Olsen. But at the same time, I think 
it was a necessary move if you don't believe you're going to re-sign Freddie Freeman, which I it appears that the Braves were not thinking they were going to re-sign him. So you look at the contingency plans in place, there was nothing. If you look at the top 30 prospects in the Braves system, none of them are going to play first base. The, the best case scenario for, as far as I was concerned, that if, if Freddie just leaves and you don't sign anyone, you can't figure out how to sign anyone and Olsen gets traded to the Yankees, hypothetically. Well, I'm thinking the next best thing is you play, you pick Dansby, you pick Shoemake, you play one of them at third and you move Riley over to first. That was the contingency plan. So I'm, I'm glad the, the Braves were proactive here and thought, okay, we're not going to be able to re-sign Freddie. He's asking for way too much. We haven't even heard the, the numbers he wants yet. We haven't heard he hasn't, doesn't have a contract yet with the Dodgers, Yankees. He, apparently the Blue Jays are interested, which is hilarious. The Rays, we, we don't know what the contract is. So if he wants $50 million a year, I don't think he wants that, but let's say he wants $50 million a year. I think I think the eventual value of Freddie has to be involved in the trade in some way. Like if he gets like a six year, $100 million deal, which would be a huge low ball and actually a big uh, decrease in his yearly salary. Like that would be an issue in the Braves. You could say, okay, they really easily could have signed Freeman for that. But if he gets six years, 500 million, then obviously, okay, great move. You, you saw, like the chess pieces ahead and you acquired a top five ish first baseman and it's a slight downgrade for the moment, but you would think Olsen over the next four or five years is better than Freeman over the next four or five years, which I don't think is the dumbest thing to think. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And also you gotta remember, you know, Olsen is, going into his age 28 season while Freddie is already 32. So that's, that's the one, you know, the one thing that you got to keep in mind, but uh, anyways, we're going to move on. Uh, Alex's team uh, made, made a big move. And that was the, uh, they acquired Jesse Winker and a Eugenio Suarez from the Reds in exchange for Justin Dunn, Brandon Williamson and Jake Fraley. Alex, I'm, I, you sounded like you were super excited about this trade, and I think you uh, are. It's justifiable uh, why you are uh, why you are excited. How are you feeling right now? Yeah, you said the word excited. Yeah, pretty excited. Uh, very excited. Very, very, very excited. <laughs> no, like this is an incredible move to me because, again, as a Mariner fan that has seen a lot of moves that just seem like bandage pieces stuff that kind of just small little fill the just kind of fill the gap moves seeing them go out and get a big some big names to go fill out this uh batting lineup it's impressive it's insane to see i am so happy for it especially on top of what they gave away they really did not give out that much. There, there is actually one uh, small change to what you said and what the terms were. There's also a player to be named later or cash that's also giving by the Mariners for it. Um, but we don't know who that player to be named later is going to be. We don't know anything, know anything about it. This is a huge move for Seattle, especially when we don't know what's going to happen with Chris Bryant. There's been a lot of talks that Seattle has been linked to Bryant, especially with, you know, Paul Sewell being one of Bryant's best friends. Um, I think that right out, this was one of those moves that you look back on and say, how the hell did we make that work? I don't understand this one because I don't understand what Cincinnati saw in this deal. Winker is a fantastic hitter. A little slow, yes, not the best fielder, yes, but as a pure hitter, and he was an all-star last year. Winker is a very good baseball player, and Eugenio Suarez is a candidate for comeback player of the year after a kind of bit of a week, a uh, little bit ago, uh, after not having the best show, but in 2019. In 2019, again, hitting, what, 49 home runs? Let me run you back real quick a small list of every single Mariner that has ever hit 49 home runs in a season. Ken Griffey Jr. Dot, dot, dot. There's no one else. So just by that side alone, he puts himself into that kind of list. 
But on top of it, it's what you gave away that really kind of stems for me. Whenever I see big names, I think, oh, you're giving away a big prospect or you're giving away something really big to get these guys. I'm going to be real with you. Seattle did it. Seattle gave up, in my opinion, very little in this trade. I like the players that they gave away, but in the amount of talent that you're giving away versus what you're getting, I think Seattle made out like bandits on this. To break it down just a little bit. Justin uh, Dunn, I think, is the main key piece that they want, him and Brandon Williamson. Justin Dunn, who is a pretty good – I don't think you can call him a prospect anymore. He's now this third year – in major league baseball, but he's always been just kind of not had to, not been able to play that much. He's young. He's under club control, only 26 years old. And last year was his best year with a three, seven, five ERA over 11 games. Started all those games with a one and three record. And you know, he showed good promise, showed good promise. But the year before that, a 4.34 ERA over 10 games in 2020. The problem is, is that he seemed to lack a bit of an it factor. Is he good? Yes. Do not get me wrong. Justin Dunn is a good player, but I don't know where he's going to go from here because there are times where he has really been streaky. Jake Fraley. I really like Fraley because he is a phenomenal at-bat player. What I mean by that is he is really good at working at-bats. I mean, the dude's gotten a walk-off walk before. That's how good this guy is at that i mean taking a look right now in 2021 46 walks to only 71 strikeouts over 78 games pretty darn good he's had multiple walk games before but on top of it he's also got good speed and he's a good clutch hitter there's a ton of games i remember there's one game in detroit where the guy comes up robs the game winning home run in the outfield and then the next inning hits the game winning home run himself I love Fraley. He's also just a good clubhouse guy. He's a nice guy, but aside from just having that speed, that kind of clutch factor and being able to work a, work a count, there wasn't a whole lot of room for him, especially in a crowded outfield. So I, I like it. I'm okay with losing Fraley because there was a lot of talk. He wasn't even going to make the roster this year. And then you have Brandon Williamson, who is a very good young pitcher, only 23 years old. He was the seventh-ranked prospect in the Mariners organization, and that's behind players like George Kirby, Everson Hancock, Julio Rodriguez. There's a lot of value here. He is a good young player. He was actually a 36th-round draft pick, mind you, by the way, uh, but from the Milwaukee Brewers, and then a second-round draft pick in 2019. I do think overall, when you take a look at Williamson, he is going to be a good young player. I think he's going to do well with the organization. But looking at the players that you're getting right now, in a season where Seattle is looking to break their 20-year run, if they make the playoffs this year, they will finish literally days away from it being a 21-year drought. I can't even stress how important that is right now. And with the added playoff system now that we've got, I think, what, 12 teams now making it to playoffs? This is the year you have to hit. And there are already a lot of talks about what Seattle is going to do about trying to make this happen, trying to make this season be the one that ends it. And now seeing Jerry DePoto go and make a trade like this, Seattle just put themselves in a huge position to move forward. So I feel almost like Eugenio Suarez kind of hurt the deal in a way because let me explain so he's a very good player he can play third he can play a little bit of short you're obviously not going to play him over jp crawford but let's say crawford has an off day or whatever you can you can play suarez at shortstop and it's not an absolute catastrophe but he is getting paid a lot of money and you mentioned he had the massive season in 2019 but other than 2019 he's not this uh, menacing like elite third baseman and he is getting paid like he is a menacing elite third baseman so I think he was almost thrown in this was a red salary dump but it's disguised as this massive trade and I just it just makes me feel bad for the people in Cincinnati uh, I know you have the Bengals so I'm not too 
bad. I don't feel too bad for you, but you know, like Suarez one-time all-star ironically 2018, not his 49 Homer season. I uh, 34 homers in 2018, a 136 OPS plus 131 OPS plus in his 49 homer season. And he hit 31 home runs this season, but he strikes out a ton. He had a batting average under 200 OPS plus of 80. That is really difficult to have more than 30 homers and a sub like an 80 OPS plus, but he, in this weird time for the reds, they have like sort of hemorrhaged salary. They have just, you know, Sonny Gray is gone. Um, the, or was he, he was traded at the twins. Yes. Uh, they, Nick Castellanos declined his option. They have just, they traded Tucker Barnhart. They made this trade and it just feels, I don't know what the reds end game is because they were relatively close to making the playoffs last year. And if the Cardinals don't have this 17 game winning streak, like the reds are a reasonable team to make the playoffs, but he's, but Suarez is getting paid $11 million next year, $11 million in 23, $11 million in 24, $15 million in 25. And when you have an 80 OPS plus, that is not necessarily what you want to be paying for. You, you want more than that. So this trade just is awkward. Amazing trade. If you're, uh, if you're Seattle. So congratulations, Alex, you get a stud in Jesse Winker and, at the very least, a power bat in Eugenio Suarez. Yes, he strikes out a ton, but 31 home runs is 31 home runs. There's always going to be value in that. If you clean up the strikeouts just a little bit, he walk, He has a solid enough walk rate, 9.8% for his career. Actually, exactly 9.8% last year. He was over 10% in 17, 18, 19, and 20 so if you get that strikeout number down to 2018 numbers that it, instead of 30%, it was 23.5%, you are looking at a very good hitter, um, I think. And I, I will take my chances. I, I think the Reds were kind of tired of him, tired of leading the league in strikeouts in 2019, 171 strikeouts in 2021. I, I Maybe they were a little tired of that. They didn't want to pay for that, but... I think this is an excellent trade for your Mariners. You know, the thing is that Suarez, you know, I, I'm not sure he's probably never going to hit 49 homers again. I think that probably was a product of the juice balls back in 2019, but you know, he did finish the year very strong in September. He hit 370 in September in 87 plate appearances with eight homers. So he was coming alive and he was still barreling up the baseball at a good rate. So you know, I think I think that he could have a bounce back year, and he effectively will replace Kyle Seager. Uh, Jesse Winker is obviously the big get here. This guy can flat out hit a career 888 OPS, and yes, he had to miss time this year with an injury. But when he was healthy, I mean, a 949 OPS, 24 homers—that's a career high. 71 RBIs—that's also a career high. Same with 32 doubles. His defense is suspect, so I would probably pencil him in as a DH. Uh, just I'm not sure I want to r- run the risk of him, you know, maybe getting hurt. Uh, he was walking at at, a, at the highest uh, – no, the second highest. Uh, no, just kidding. Uh, he walked, though, still. 10.9% walk rate is pretty good. 15.5% K rate, that's the second lowest of his career. Uh, he's hitting the ball hard. You know, he's he's doing everything right. I think Jesse Winker is a great pickup for the Mariners. And I, I'm a big believer in Suarez that he can bounce back. I saw him go deep in Philly this past year. You know, I think the, the Mariners signaled today that they are trying to prove that last year was not a fluke that this year, like this year will be the year that they break that drought. So I, I like that they're going all in here and, you know, I expect them to make some more moves. If not, uh, if not, before opening day, they will definitely be making moves in the middle of the season, in the summer. So big move by Seattle. And like Alex said, the return they ga- they uh, they gave to the Reds, it wasn't like a ton of guys. You know, you know Justin Dunn, I mean, I watched him when he was in Brooklyn with the Mets. I mean, he, he has decent stuff, but honestly, I think I see him ending up more as a reliever. Uh, than a starter at this point, uh, you know, and same with, you know, same with Williamson. I mean, I'm curious to see how he does. And, you know, it's just it, Jake Fraley can be a solid everyday player, but he's not going to be a star necessarily. So 
I think this is a great move by Seattle, and I'm really excited to see how they do this year. Um, I, I do want to say one more thing on this yeah. real quick. And because I agree with you, Splash, especially when it comes to, to Suarez, that uh, strikeouts are going to be a problem. I don't think he's going to ever have that huge homer season ever again. But one thing that's really nice about having him here and having him is that it gives a lot more oomph to this lineup. And what's really – there's actually a quote that came out just a little bit ago, um, about an hour or so ago, where – Jerry DePoto said on adding Winker and Eugenio Suarez says, we feel like these guys are going to make our lineup longer and a lot more ominous, which I think makes perfect sense. You have a line right now that's already starting to really blossom, but we saw that happen in 2021. And now you're adding two bona fide bats to that lineup already. You're getting more and more scared, which offense for the longest time for Seattle was their biggest problem, especially living at T-Mobile Park, formerly Safeco Field, where offense just didn't seem to exist. And now you're getting all these guys that can do it, and you're seeing these players that are able to make the ball leave the yard, make the ball find the gaps. At that point, you still need more pitching. You obviously are going to need more pitching, but adding Robbie Ray definitely helped that as well, by the way. Um, You're getting so much closer to that moment as right now it feels like this is a massive push just to end this drought because once you end the drought that's going to change the culture or in Seattle that's already now starting to really get on that uptick this is what DePoto was talking about when he first came to Seattle these moves that <laughs> we saw the rebuild work and now this is the the glorious stage of it where we're seeing the players really blossom into what they are. And then on top of it, adding free agents and people through trades to bolster it even more. So I love what I'm seeing. This is, this trade is a huge sign for the Mariner future. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, you know, I know Jerry DePoto loves making those trades and I'm curious to see what he does throughout the year. Uh, But anyways, uh, sort of to you know keep hitting on the teams that uh, we root for my, my Mets made a pretty big trade you know they they need an arm and they went out and got one they traded for A's righty Chris Bassett coming off an all-star year in which he finished 10th in the Cy Young voting he's had four solid years in a row I want your guys to take on this first because I do have uh, quite a few thoughts on this move uh, Bassett I, I think is one of the, like, uh, he's not on the DeGrom level. And I, I wouldn't say he's on the, like that, well, I guess there's several levels between DeGrom and everyone else, but let's condense that down to the DeGrom level. Let's say DeGrom, Scherzer, Cole, uh, Bieber, throw some, uh, Bueller, Woodruff, uh, the, the guy that just won the Cy Young, uh, Burns, etc. You have that list. He's in that second tier, you know, borderline all-star every year. He was actually an all-star for the first time in 2021, 130 OP or 130 ERA plus, sorry. Um, he was good in limited action in 2018, uh, solid enough in 2019 and 25 starts was very good during the pandemic year, 183 OPS plus eighth in Cy Young voting. And then last year, you know, 10th in Cy Young voting. So I think the Mets are getting uh, another, you know, ringer and easier third best pitcher. That That is the fact of the matter that, Bassett is going to be one of the best number three pitchers in the league. And you're going to have him playing in uh, essentially the dead ball era known as city field. So I am, I mean, obviously I'm not excited because that means the Mets are going to win more games, but in a vacuum, it is a very good decision for the Mets to bolster that rotation because you see these years that even when DeGrom's healthy, even when they have, a full complement of starters that end of the rotation gets a bit buggy. Like when I'm looking at the brave schedule and they, they play the Mets, I'm trying to math it out. Okay. Do we have to play DeGrom or do we get to play some generic guy that probably should be in Syracuse still? Oh, we're going to play DeGrom once, but we also get to play this guy in Syracuse and it happens to match up that he's going against freed or Soroka or Anderson or whatever. Okay. I'm, I'm happy to see that we're going to win that game. Six, one DeGrom's going to have 29 million strikeouts against us. The other game, because the Braves can't stop striking out, but Hey, uh, Bassett is a guy that solves that issue. He moves, uh, 
he moves everyone down the line past DeGrom and Scherzer. So he slots in at three and, you know, I hate the Mets, but really, really strong acquisition there. I mean, anytime that you can have a rotation that your top three are all players that have been aces as, at one point in their careers, that's always a very good sign. I mean, look, DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett, that's a strong one, two, three punch. So a lot of teams struggle to get a good one, two punch, let alone one, two, three. That starting rotation is looking more and more scary by the minute over there in City Field. But, you know, I kind of, I have to uh, kind of echo some of the points I'm hearing here from Splash is that I do think that it's going to be a little interesting because there's still more holes that need to be filled. But your Mets have done a fantastic job of trying to fill those holes and trying to add value in different places. Like, yeah, I still think the Starling Marte who was very nice as that one really is going to help shore up that outfield. But I want to see more and more from them. But the fact that you now have in a three game series and a best, so like you have right now three pitchers that if you're going into, let's say the divisional game where it's first to five or it's uh, best three of five, you just throw your first three right there. You've got a good chance at each one of those games of winning. That's big. That is very, very big. So having those three right there, great move for the Mets. Yeah, I'm really happy with this. You know, I understand they did have to give up, you know, JT Jin, who was a first-round talent that had to get Tommy John surgery, and Adam Aller looked like he had to uh, – or it looked like he was sort of turning a corner uh, this past year. It could be big league ready, but, you know, the thing is that Jin probably isn't ready yet, and he struggled to get lefties out big time, so – that, that, you know, he, he was he was a few years away and, you know, Bassett is a guy who could have an immediate impact. He had the best year of his career last year. If he didn't get struck in the head by that line drive, he probably, you know, he, he probably sets career highs in a number of categories. Uh, you know, he did, you know, he still finished 10th in the Cy Young voting. He was eighth in the pandemic year in 2020. His strikeout rate was a career high, uh, 25%. You know, he, he's inducing softer contact. He's a great pitcher. You know, he, he's been improving. It feels like he's been improving almost every year. And, you know, people wondered if that 2020 season was just a fluke. Well, he went out and proved that it was not. So big move. You know, the Mets needed an arm. You know, last year, once the Grom got hurt, it was basically Marcus Stroman. And then, you know, Carrasco, who was coming back from an injury and was rushed back. Uh, it was Walker who got tired towards the end of the year, and he actually just had knee surgery. And then it, the the rotation was just held together by duct tape, you know. And now I feel comfortable with this rotation, actually, you know, with starting with DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett. That's a great one, two, three. One of the best in baseball right there. Carrasco coming back from the injury. I think this time around he will not be rushed back. So it'll be Carrasco at the four and either Walker or Tyler McGill uh, rounding it out at the five. You know, they still have work to. They still need to get a lefty from the bullpen. I know they picked up Adam Adovino. He's a righty. And, yes, they're looking at Andrew Chafin. So they still have work to do. But I am definitely happy with this trade. So uh, moving right along, you know, we we mentioned the, the Sonny Gray trade for a second. Uh, you know, the Twins made another move that – sort of confuses me so the twins that they made a couple of moves let's put it this way they traded mitch garver as part of a trade to get isaiah kind of then 24 hours later if that they're trading kiner falefa josh donaldson and ben i'm i'm sorry i have to double double check the pronunciation here because it's um ben ben Roy, Roy, so they traded those three players to the Yankees for Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela. This is also after they traded uh, Chase Petty, their former first, their 2021 first round pick to the Reds for Sonny Gray. So I don't know what the twins are doing. The Yankee fans had a very strong reaction to this trade. What were your, what's your guys' takes? Uh, I'm just going to throw it out there that Isaiah Kiner-Falefa is already the best defensive shortstop in the history of the New York Yankees. 
Um, and I also know that Josh Donaldson and Garrett Cole hate each other. So I'd like to imagine Garrett Cole threw his spider tack filled glove at the wall when he saw this trade go through on his phone, but I'm sure he can use his millions and millions of dollars to wipe away his tears. Um, if, if I'm the Yankees, <laughs> right out of our ACR. <laughs> Dad, that was, that was savage right there. I love it. <laughs> uh, if, if I'm the Yankees, let's say I'm a Yankees fan at that point, you probably hate Gary Sanchez for existing and striking out all the time, even though he's, I, 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 I like Gary Sanchez. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, so I, I think if you look at it from that lens, that Yankees fans just despise Gary Sanchez for existing and the same idiots that despise Joey Gallo for existing for some reason, um, I'm, I'm sure they're over the moon. They're probably mad that they're not getting Correa or story or insert generic really good shortstop but i mean donaldson can is still the bringer of rain he can still mash kiner falefa is one of the seven shortstops that i would say is the best defensive shortstop in baseball if you ask me jp crawford is in that list alex do not come at me also the goat i was about to yeah also the goat andrelton simmons of course is in that conversation and the entire national league just apparently has elite defensive shortstops like i don't i don't know what i'm going to do for the gold glove article that i'm going to write like nick ahmed uh, Lindor, of course, Dansby Swanson could win it. Uh, I guess we'll touch on Tatis later, but uh, Fernando Tatis is missing time again. I don't know. Uh, Brandon Crawford won the gold glove last year. Chaos screams explosions, but um, I, you know, I think the Yankees got a solid haul here and they traded uh, essentially the embodiment of Satan, at least according to their fans. I don't know. I don't know how I can follow up that uh, description on this trade. Um, that was um, very descriptive. I mean, with this one, I just a lot of it has me kind of scratching my head, just because Donaldson. I get you know not wanting to pay him, but Donaldson, I don't think is going to want to play for the Yankees even at this point with all the stuff that he has said. Where I don't know how the fans are going to react on. They'll they'll boo him until he hits his first home run. And then they'll just completely forget literally everything he's ever said. But I, I, I just don't get a lot of this, especially with the idea that there's another trade where, uh, excuse me, where the Mets got rid of Mitch Garver. And you're thinking, oh, who are they going to replace Mitch Garver with? I'm sorry, which team got rid of Mitch Garver? The Twins, you mean, right? Yeah, that's what I meant, the Twins. <laughs> okay. What did I say? Did I say the Yankees? You said the Mets. <laughs> oh, sorry. No Look, worries. I'm tired. It happens. And no, I'm kidding. Um, no, but the twins, you got rid of Mitch Garver. Who are you gonna replace Mitch Garver with? Mitch Garver. As a very similar type of players. Again, big boppers, strike out a lot, not the best contact. So you replace Mitch Garver with Mitch Garver. Good job. Not much of an improvement, if any, at all. I think this was one. I, I'm really still struggling trying to find like what are the positives of these things because I'm, I'm with you on this one, Splash. That I love Isaac, uh, Isaac Kiner Falefa. I'm watching him as a Seattle Mariners fan play with the Rangers, which by the way, traded from the Rangers to the Twins to the Yankees in a matter of like what 36 hours. So I, he is a fantastic ball player, got great versatility, he still can catch even. Yes, he's a fantastic defensive shortstop, but if you need to, you can, can even put on the gear. So I think that this is a trade that the Yankees definitely do come out ahead on, but it's going to be very tense in your, because of what you said about all the stuff that Donaldson had said to the teammates and the people that are now his teammates. I think it's going to take some getting used to, and there may be some locker room division, but I have a feeling this is going to be one of those trades Apologize if this sounds a little unfair, kind of. I feel like this is going to be one of those trades we just kind of forget about, like, in about three, four months. I think this is going to be one of those that we're like, oh, yeah, this trade happened. Because the players will be doing their thing, and there are probably going to be a few problems in there, but it's not going to mean too much really for either side, Mike. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure why this trade was made, and I'm talking for both but both sides, you know, for the for the twins, again, I have no clue what they're doing because you trade Mitch Garver, who's one of your better offensive players, who 
you know, it was a catcher who could frame well. And while he couldn't throw very well, he could hit the, 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 the you know, he could just hit the ball miles. Like, you know, he, it was like, like he was a very good offensive catcher and you trade him and you get Isaiah, Isaiah Connor Falefa. And then you trade him almost immediately along with Donaldson almost as a salary dump because the Yankees are taking on the, all the, of the remaining $50 million on Donaldson's contract. And, you know, they give, you know, they get a backup catcher too. And going to the twins, you know, it's Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela, you know, all this talk, you know, the Yankees, you know, the infielders the Yankees have and the guys who they could get traded, all the talk I feel like has been around Miguel and Duhar and Luke Voigt. And somehow neither of those guys are getting traded here. And, you know, Urshela is coming off a down year. He only had a 96 OPS plus. He only had a .6 more. His defense regressed. You know, I get he had to play a lot of shortstop last year. But I, I'm not, I'm not quite sure why the Yankees traded him over Voight. You know, because now if you look at their infield, Donaldson will play third. I'm assuming Kiner Falefa will play short. Torres will play second, and LeMahieu will play first. But then there's also the possibility that the Yankees bring back Anthony Rizzo. So at which point, what do you are you going to move LeMahieu to second and DH Torres, or are you DHing Donaldson, or who are you DHing there? You know, and it's it's also the salary factor. Like, why are they taking on fifty million? I understand Donaldson is still good and still was above average, very above average, uh, offensively and defensively. But you know, I, he's thirty six. You got to remember that. So I'm not exactly sure what either team gets out of this. I think in in the you know. Thinking for the immediate future, it looks like maybe the Yankees get away with this. You know, I think that if the Twins do what's right and have Gary Sanchez become a DH finally, you know, he can just focus on hitting the balls as far as as far as humanly possible, then they will make out like bandits here. I think this is a good trade. You know, I'm sure I think in the long term, the Twins probably win this trade. In the immediate future, it's the Yankees. So I really don't know how this helps either team. I think the Yankees desperately need more. You know, they still don't have a real first baseman. And LeMahieu is getting older. And Torres, who knows what to do with Glaber Torres and Miguel Andujar. And that pitching rotation, who knows what to do with that. So there's a lot of question marks. And, again, I have no clue what the Twins are doing because they also traded Chase Petty uh, to get Sonny Gray. So – uh, th- those are all the trades we were going to go over. We do have a couple free agent signings, big free agent signings. And the first one uh, we're, I want to touch on briefly is Carlos Rodon signing a two-year, $44 million contract with the San Francisco Giants. Rodon coming off a career year. Guys, uh, this was like the first free agent signing coming out of the uh, coming out of the lockout. How are you feeling? I think that's a, a fantastic move for San Francisco. We saw last year that, you know, they were able to squeeze all this, all of these um, great years out of everyone, like the hitters, the pitchers, everyone on the Giants had a good year. And Gabe Kapler, uh, the bane of Philly fan, Philly fan existence, Philly's fans existence, s- pulled all the right strings until the wild card game, not necessarily, not the wild card game, the NLDS. And you're getting Rodon who is coming off of a monster season. And I would have had him very high up in the Cy Young voting. He finished fifth, but I, he might've won the darn thing. If he had thrown more than 132 innings, he was a 183 ERA plus guy, 12.6 Ks per nine. He only pitched 132 innings but he struck out 185. But with Rodon, there has been a bit of an issue with staying on the field. He threw 34 innings in 2019. He threw seven innings in 2020. And then he comes out and he's like the best pitcher in the American League in uh, 2021. But you just look at it. He hasn't thrown 160 innings in a year since 2016. So I think it's a... I would say a solid buy low candidate, but they're paying him $22 million a year. So I, I have my concerns, but the giants did earn some trust in that everyone on the roster had a good year last year. So I'm, I'm not going to bet against Carlos Rodon. 
my main thing when it comes to this trade, when it, not this trade, excuse me, this signing, is that I think I don't want to say he's getting overpaid because he's a good player, very good pitcher, don't mind you. Uh, looking at the deal itself again, two year, $44 million with an opt out after the first season. It, that's good. And I don't want to keep bringing it back to, you know, Seattle, but it just makes me feel even better about the Mariners bringing in Robbie Ray for five years, $115 million. Cause I would rather have Robbie Ray than I would Carlos Rodon. And it's pretty similar on how much money they're each is going to be making per year at that point. So I, I think Carlos Rodon is a good player. My thing that I kind of struggle when it comes to him though, is that I need to see more consistency from him. Last year was really that big breakout here for Rodon. And I want to see more of it before he gets paid 20 million a year. I don't want to think it's, it's not by, because it's definitely not by a low. It's definitely one of those moves that you're like, okay, we need to get a guy with some of the other guys are already off the market. Who can we get? Okay. He's there. Let's pay him some good money. So he comes here and he does. So it was a good business move. I think for the giants who are still competing in that NL West. So again, not a big problem overall. I do think that maybe it was a little big depending on the market, but even then that's a, that's even that's a maybe. Like I, I could be very easily swayed to the to the other direction. I like what I see from this. I like what I see from Rodon as well. I just want to see more consistency from him. And Alex, I, I sort of get what you're saying because this thing is that, you know, I remember when Rodon was first drafted uh, out of NC State in 2014. He was the third overall pick, and he was one of the best left-handed, one of the best pitchers in the country I should say you know obviously one of the best lefties and you know people also said though that he was probably the most big league ready guy in that draft and he came up in 2015 but it's always been a health issue you know he you know he just kept getting hurt and his fastball velocity was completely diminished but then this year his fastball velocity jumped back up to 95.4 miles per hour actually the highest it's been at any point in his big league career so that was huge. And, you know, his strikeout rate, I mean, 185 strikeouts, that's a career high, despite only pitching in 132 and two-thirds innings, 12.6 Ks per nine. 34.6% uh, K rate, that is huge. Uh, I think this is almost, though, like a bet-on-yourself contract, you know. He's only going to be 29 this year, but only taking a two-year contract. And I think that's because he hasn't pitched a full season, really. You know, he – He's never made more than 30 starts in a year, but I think coming off the huge season he just had, I mean, he also had a strikeout to walk ratio of uh, 5.14 career low walk rate, 2.4 and a career low home run. Uh, actually, I, I guess sort of almost a career low in home runs allowed, you know, he allowed 13 and 132 innings. So 0.9, I mean, he was good at keeping the ball in the yard. He's getting strikeouts. He's missing bats, you know, he was uh, doing a pretty good job of limiting hard contact, too. I think this is a great signing for him and for the Giants. You know, the Giants lost Kevin Gosman, but I think this is an effective replacement. I'm really high on Rodon, especially after seeing him pitch this year. Remember, he threw a no-hitter, too. You know, made made his first All-Star appearance. Uh, you know, fifth in the Cy Young voting. I, I like, like Splash said, he probably could have finished higher if he had finished the year and hadn't gotten hurt. So I'm very intrigued by by Carlos Rodon and I'm excited to see what he does. Uh, the last signing I wanted to talk about, and this one kind of came as a surprise to me, uh, the ageless wonder Nelson Cruz signed a one-year contract with the Washington Nationals, I believe is for 13 million. Cruz, you know, he, it seems like he just is never going to stop. Uh, what do you guys think about this? So I want to talk first on this one. And just because I love Nelly, I love the boom stick, but I find it hilarious that he goes to a national league team as soon as they put in the universal DH. Cause we knew that was going to be the only chance in living hell that he was going to be able to play in the NL is if they had the universal DH. And so of course, of course, as soon as that comes in, he signs with the national signs with the national league team, just to be that kind of like, the gatekeeper to the universal DH happening. 
He's like, I am the reason why you're here. Thank you so much. I'll gladly take my $14 million and hit 5,000 home runs at each one, at least 700 feet. So I love the deal, honestly, just because it's, it's kind of the benchmark right now. I'm so happy that the universal DH exists, Like I think it's been way overdue. And this is really the move that kind of encapsulates all of it. Nelson Cruz is in my opinion right now, the best overall pure DH in baseball right now. And I don't think there's a whole lot of disputing that at the moment. There, there definitely could be some names, I guess, but the first person I think of is Nelly. And to see him now go and play in a, in a National League ballpark, it's going to feel trippy, to be honest with you, but I'm, I'm so about it. I do want to throw it out there that uh, Mr. Nelson Cruz was actually an above-average defensive right fielder the last time he played in the outfield granted he only played 26 and a third innings but he did have plus one defensive run saved and plus one total zone so i think you're i think you're missing the point here what if we have a renaissance year of nelson cruz playing in the field and did you know that he played seven innings of first base last year with the tampa bay rays i don't know maybe we have a maybe we have the long-term one soda replacement in right field and at at very least we we, you have a first baseman so uh obviously joking but (laughs) splash for the love of everything for the love of everything that is good and holy i wish that were true just because i would love to see nelson cruz in right field go and rob a home run how amazing would it be like say if soto is gone at any point and they just keep bringing back Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz robs a home run from Juan Soto just to cause as much pain as humanly possible. Okay. Just the thought that that means I should probably get off the air for at least a good minute or so. Yeah, I I agree there, but uh, you know, Juan Soto apparently is going to the Mets. He he always goes to the Mets in my MLB, the show saves and I just delete the save because I don't want to think about that. It's, it's hard enough him being, Oh man, are you sure about that? Yes, I'm sure about that. Wow, he goes, you're really you're getting both of us mad right now here. I yeah, see he goes to the Mets in every the single sim. It's him and Freddie in every single sim. They go to the Mets. And, like, Alonzo goes to, like, an NL West team. It just alternates between the Dodgers and Diamondbacks. So, uh, back on Cruz, you know, a monster hitting season, 32 home runs. Actually stole three bases. I didn't realize that. I have his baseball reference page pulled up. 130 OPS plus. Just to throw that into perspective, he has that Freddie Freeman disease that 130 is like bad on his level. Like Freeman had his worst OPS plus since like 2015, but it was still like a 130. Uh, Cruz, I'm just going to rattle off some years. So since he went to Baltimore in 2014, these are his OPS pluses. 137, 159 with Seattle, 147, 149, 135, 168 with Minnesota full year, 171 in the lot or the lockout year in the pandemic year. And last year split time between uh, Minnesota and Tampa 130. He was an all-star most every season MVP uh, seventh and MVP voting one year, sixth MVP voting twice, ninth, 10th, 15th. Um, what seven time all-star now that is wild four time silver slugger and probably would have been, well, I guess Alvarez existed, but I was going to say probably would have been in the running for like a MLB second team. If Shohei Otani didn't exist. Yeah. I mean, he, like I said, he's kind of an ageless wonder and, you know, I understand that, you know, he did sort of come down to earth when he went to Tampa Bay last year, but I mean, he still finished here with 32 homers. He still hit six homers in the last month of the year. I mean, 32 homers, 86 RBIs, 832 OPS. This is a guy who's 41, by the way. So, I mean, I 32 homers and, and 832 OPS, I'll take that on any team. I mean, the thing is that the Nationals, I don't really know. that The Nationals, I don't think, are anywhere near contending. And it's a one-year contract. So, I could very much see this being, you know – a you no, know, he signs with the Nationals, but the Nationals trade him in the middle of the year to a contender type deal. Because honestly, at this point, you know, Cruz has 449 home runs, he career 873 OPS, like you said, seven-time all-star. At this point, the only thing he's really missing is a World Series ring. So I, I kind of was hoping he would sign with a team that, you know, was close to getting a ring, but I, I like this deal, and I'm glad he's in the National League finally. You know, a fun fact, uh, Nelson Cruz was originally a Met. 
uh, that is the team that signed him <laughs> uh, back in uh, back, back in the nineties. So it's uh, it, it's it's a good it's a good pickup by the Nationals. I don't I don't think the Nationals are quite there yet, but you know I, I'm I'm excited to see what he does. I want him to get closer to five hundred, and I hope that he uh, he gets to five hundred in his career. I think if he plays two more years, he can probably do it. So. Uh, this was the sort of the last talking point we had for today's show. Any final thoughts on anything we've talked about? Uh, is it time for the Freddie Freeman eulogy? Uh, yes, it's time. All right. uh, if you'd like to, if you want to end off the show, because I know you probably want to end off the show, I can say a quick thing and then okay. let you go into the eulogy. Because I want to see that be the ender too. Um, I think that right now that I'm just so glad baseball is back. But we're seeing all these amazing trades go on right now. And I think it's because we've had a lot of GMs that have had a lot of time to themselves. And I've just been thinking of these wonder scenarios. And the fact that we're finally starting to get them is just music to my ears. I think that there's going to be a lot of movement within a lot of these divisions. The AL West, I think, is going to be insane this year with the Astros still potentially making moves and still being a decent team. You have the Mariners that have now been adding like hell over the course of this offseason and just became an even more scary offensive lineup. You have the Angels that have been adding more and more and more as well to their team. And even the Rangers still picked up a lot of pieces. I mean, did we? are we really going to forget that they've picked up Seager and everyone else as in Simeon and gray and all that stuff. They're still going to finish fourth. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's amazing to see what the West is going to do, especially since it's basically now guaranteed that the A's are going to get fifth, but I want to see what's going to happen. This is the most excited I've been for baseball in a good minute. So I am very happy to see what's going on. There's still more moves that are going to be made, especially within the next week. I think we're going to see a lot more free agent, free agent signings, including for one Freddie Freeman. I have a feeling will be signed before the week's over. So with that, unless Mac, do you have anything more you want to add? I mean, the, these last few weeks uh, will be, uh, or these next few weeks, I feel like there's going to be a, a flurry of moves and I'm really just counting down until opening day. All right. I believe it's time. So my first experience with Freddie Freeman was actually in, I believe MLB 2k 11, maybe 2k 12. And I was playing against the Braves in season mode. And uh, I think I had a no hitter. Right. And I, I struck out this guy, Freddie Freeman, four different times. It might have been before he came up because I was unfamiliar with him, but regardless, I struck him out four times or whatever. And then the next game of the series, we're playing the Braves again, and uh, he goes like 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, and I make this ridiculous diving catch in center field. Um, I, I remember it very vividly because that was the one spectacular catch I made in the history of that stupid game. And then the next game, I'm like mowing everyone down, and then Freddie Freeman blows my no-hitter by like a single up the middle or whatever. In classic Freddie form, a single up the middle or single to left center. But that experience with Freddie Freeman on a video game could not have been further from what we got in 12 years with the Atlanta Braves. He was nothing short of a franchise icon. I cannot wait to see his number five up in the same Terrace with Chippers 10 and Maddox and Glavin and Smoltzy and Dale Murphy and Hank Aaron. I, that's going to be a fun day in Braves history. And I know it's going to, it has a sour breakup feel and you know, it's, it's going to sting for a long time and it's, it's bittersweet. It's bittersweet acquiring Olsen and seeing that that's the writing on the wall. That means, you know, 1,565 games of Freddie Freeman as a member of the Atlanta Braves is, is gone, you know, and that's, uh, 42 extra playoff games that's clutch home runs that's clutch you know random stolen bases that's good defensive plays it's it's the moments with freddie it's getting called frederick after getting after striking out against anthony rizzo of all people it's you know lifting his arms up after at the end of the world series um it's the even celebrating at the after the nlcs that 
you know, we made it and he was on some of those genuinely atrocious Braves teams The the one that Shelby Miller was an all-star on and lost 17 games and gets, a, was traded to the diamondbacks and the, uh, the eventually the Dansby trade, actually, I, he's now, I, I would say the best player in that trade. Um, but you know, Freeman was that I it's, it's disrespectful to call him a bridge between like chipper and the next era, but he was that foundational piece that seceded chipper jones and i think that he's going to be in regardless of where he goes even if he goes to the dodgers even if he goes to the mets i think he's going to hold a special place in the heart of braves fans across braves country from you know inner city atlanta to mississippi to louisiana to wherever braves fans lie nowadays just uh, an all-around great player but a great guy and i'm going to miss the the social interactions he had with uh, Chelsea, his wife, and uh, I believe his son is Charlie. I got the all-star game in Colorado. There was a clip of uh, Fernando Tatis talking to Charlie. And of course, Charlie's favorite player is Tatis, not his own dad. So I think it, I, I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss the having 155 games a year of elite first baseman. I'm going to miss the, uh, the just demolitions of baseballs into the chop house and right field in Atlanta or in Smyrna or whatever. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to miss a lot of things. Uh, so thank you, Freddie. You're the best. Well, thank you. Thank you for that splash. Uh, I, I, I guess we were to add one more thing is that even as a Mets fan, uh, it's been a pleasure to watch Freddie and, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm curious to see what uh, what the future holds for him. It's it's going to be weird seeing him play in a jersey that is not uh, not an Atlanta Brave jersey. Uh, but on that note, uh, that's going to do it for us on this episode. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, baseball is back, and I mean it's not like we stopped recording, but you'll probably get more episodes like this. Uh, I know that we've had fun with Jeopardy and with Versus and with player drafts, but uh, we we actually are at baseball season now. So make sure to follow us on Twitter. You can follow myself at Matthias underscore A underscore K. You can follow Splash at Mr. Splashman 19. And you can follow Alex at the Sports Guy 242. Make sure to follow the Chief Seats chatter account at OTH underscore Chief Seats and the baseball department account at baseball underscore OTH. Keep tuning in. We'll be back again next week. For everyone, though, at Overtime Heroics, I've been today's host, Matthias Albuquerque. Thank you for listening. I hope to see you all real soon.